So we're in this little series that we've uh, ended up doing a little bit by accident, really. Didn't really intend it to, uh, to turn into a series, but just looking at some of the villains of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I've been saying to you, haven't I, that I like a good film and I always like a good villain. And uh, it's always interesting to see how different characters play out in their villainous acts and whether you can get behind understanding what makes them tick and stuff. And we've, we've just looked at some of the villains there are. So, you know, I'm far more a Darth Vader fan than a Luke Skywalker fan. And you can remember who that is? Come on. The young ones have gone today, you see. <laughs> Jafar. Yes. You know that one? Come on. Ursa. Steve Williams knows them all. Okay. Who's that? Scar. Yeah. So I was going to spend some time this week looking for new ones, and I thought, I can't be bothered. So there we go. Who's that? Magneto. He's good, isn't he? He's really good. And that one? Green Goblin. Green Man, whatever he's called. Jolly Green Giant. I don't know. There we go. And who's that? Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Absolutely brilliant. So we've been looking at these different villains uh, in, in, in culture, uh, in film and stuff, and we, we started to say, well, okay, who are the villains in the Bible? And uh, we started off, do you remember, uh, by looking... Oh, no, not him. <laughs> I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, he still hasn't got a nose, and that really does annoy me, but there we go. Um, so we started looking at this character, uh, week one, and uh, a lot of people think, you know, the devil's not real. And uh, we just started to explore that a little bit. And, you know, lots of people think he's a bit of a cartoon character. And we talked about the reality of evil in the world in which we live. And that there are some real signs that the devil is very real. And, you know, there are things happening in our world which are not good. And current, you know, current things that are happening in places uh, that you see on the news and stuff. You've got to determine in your own mind how on earth did people become like that. And we talked about the reality of uh, a real devil and satanic influence and, and stuff like that. And then as we went on, we last time uh, looked at Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about a human being who was an incredible guy. He was the king of Babylon uh, who, well, you remember he thought he was a cow. Do you remember that? If you weren't here last week, uh, it's a long story. You have to go online and listen to it. But um, he was an incredible. Anyway, this morning... We just want to take things a little bit further and just be a little bit different, different approach. Instead of talking about a specific villain, as it were, we're going to talk about a group of people who, in the New Testament, really do appear as the bad guys, the villains. More about that in a second. But here's a question for you. Have you ever been 100% right and 100% wrong at the same time? I want you to think about that for a moment. Can you think of an instance in your life where you've been 100% right and 100% wrong at the same time? So I want to tell you an honest story about a summer holiday romance I had. I haven't run this by Sarah. This is a long time ago, darling. I know we've been married 30 years. It's nothing to worry about. So there I was, sitting in class. I want you to imagine the scene. I think I was year seven, as it now is. What's that? Year one, you know, of money, right? So I look behind, there is this girl. Now, she, obviously, she's not a patch on you, can I just say that, all right? But I'm about 12, she sat behind me, and I'm thinking, Mwah. she is the business, Enid, I'm telling you. In your day, I'm sure you were, 
and, and that was great. I, I looked around at this girl, and she looked straight back at me. A little flutter in my heart. Goosebumps. I'm having it now, actually. Oh. I, I thought, gee, she was gorgeous. And, you know, you know how it is when you develop a bit of a crush. Have you ever had that? You know, I'm sure you have. You know, when you're as good looking as I am, it happens all the time, you know. <laughs> June. <laughs> Honestly. And um, there, there she was. She was a, 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 sat a couple of rows behind me. And the best thing was, I kept on looking around her, and she was looking back at me. Now, this is the bit Mrs. Owen and other school teachers here won't like. I haven't got a clue what lesson it was. I haven't got a clue what the teacher was on about. All I can remember is this girl. Wow. She was gorgeous. And I kept looking around at odd times. Teacher didn't spot me. She was looking back at me. I thought, well, then, yeah, this is going to be really good. Lesson finishes, bell goes. Remember those days, the bell went. Do they still do that? Second, yeah, bell goes. We all stand up, I turn around. She gets out of her chair, comes towards me. And keeps on walking. <laughs> and keeps on walking to the guy who's sat in front of me, because she was flirting, all right? Only not with me. So I was 100% right, she was flirting, but I was 100% wrong because she wasn't flirting with me. There we go. So I was 100% right and 100% wrong at the same time. Today we're going to talk about a group of people who were 100% right and 100% wrong at the same time. And there are villains. So who are they? Well, the New Testament tells us that these people are known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees get a bad press a lot of the time. And I just want to unpack what's going on with the Pharisees and why, in many ways, they are the villains. But I think if we look at their lives, there'll be stuff that we can see there that will hopefully help us to resist becoming like them. And there are some serious challenges as you consider who they were and what they did. Many of us would have heard of them. Basically, they were incredibly religious people. They were the Baptists of the day. They were very devout, very strict. Uh, in the original language, the word Pharisee comes from a root word that literally means to be separate. And, and that's what they were all about. They wanted to be separate from the general public. Because basically they thought that everybody else, the likes of you and me, were polluted, were a bunch of sinners. And they felt that the best way to uh, interact, as it were, religiously was to just say, you keep your distance, we're going to do our thing. In fact, they even believed that uh, the reason Israel was under Roman occupation was in direct result of the sin of the general population. Now what's interesting is that the word for holy in the Bible means roughly the same thing. Holiness also has to do with this idea of separateness, of being set apart, not participating in what's sinful. So you see, the Pharisees believed that you could fix Israel 
by being separate, by being holy. They believed the answer to the world's problems was to just follow God's law strictly, perfectly. And they went at it a hundred percent. They were incredibly devoted. They did their absolute best to follow all of the laws all of the time. In fact, they were so intense about it, they created more laws to keep them away from violating the actual laws. Now, if nothing else, you have to admire their devotion and their sense of holiness. They were really serious about this, and they were intent on keeping themselves quite separate from everybody else. And yet, if the Pharisees were so holy, why are they our villains? Why, indeed, was Jesus so opposed to them? If you read bits of the New Testament, you'll see Jesus has incredible run-ins with them. He absolutely hammers them. Listen to these few words from Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Now I get the sense that Jesus wasn't a fan, don't you? He didn't really like these people. So what's the deal? How, how could the Pharisees be so right on the one hand and yet so wrong on the other? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to explore three incidents, three stories about the Pharisees and uncover really what they were missing. And the first thing I want to look at with you is this. They were missing brokenness. As you read through the New Testament, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four uh, books that record the life of Jesus, you'll be struck by an incredible tension in those records. You really should read them if you never have. It it is an amazing uh, thing to do. There's tension-filled moment after tension-filled moment. As Jesus comes up against these religious guys... And, well, has a few things to say to them, as you've seen. They are an interesting bunch. I, I want to take you to a tension-filled moment from Luke. Luke chapter 18. Jesus is telling a story about Pharisees. And I want, I want you to try and imagine how it felt to be a Pharisee in the crowd as you were listening to what Jesus is about to say. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, the Pharisees, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Ouch. If you were a Pharisee, I'm sure you'd be grinding your teeth and bawling your fists in furious anger at what Jesus has just said. It was stuff like that that led the Pharisees to actively plot against Jesus and eventually, of course, be involved in getting him killed. So, So what's going on here? Like we said, the Pharisees were incredibly holy. They followed all of the rules all of the time. But but here's the thing. They were 100% right in their focus on personal holiness, but 100% wrong for thinking that they didn't need some grace. They'd actually forgotten their own brokenness and their own sin. I mean, their hearts weren't soft towards God. They weren't grateful. They believed, no, no, their rule following won them favour with God. And it may be that you're sat here this morning and and you think that's the way it works. That this whole Christianity thing is all about how good you can be and how religious you are. I think you're going to come up against Jesus if you think that. Because I think there's a very serious problem if you think that. Where's the grace? It's really important this morning that we all understand that we're all stuffed. We're all broken. We've all messed up. None of us in this room are perfect. We've all made mistakes, some big, some small. And we've all contributed to the mess that is this planet. And yet the Christian message is a message of God's grace in Jesus. That at the cross, which we're about to celebrate in a couple of weeks' time, God rescued us and restored us to himself. Oh, sure thing, God wants us to be holy, but trying to be holy? That can't win God's favour in and of itself. That's why God had to give us his favour through grace, through having Jesus come and die in our place upon a cross. The Pharisees were 100% right about their focus on personal holiness, but they were 100% wrong in thinking that they didn't need grace. So I want to challenge you. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't think that this is about how well you're doing or not doing. You know, there isn't a a magic number of points that you need to score with God to be acceptable to him. There isn't a a ladder of progression that you need to get on and and work your way up. I mean, obviously, I'd be near the top because I'm a pastor. Some of you, sorry, you're not even on the ladder. Is that the way it works? No. These guys had it so wrong. We all need God's grace. Maybe what we need is a little prayer. God, help me to remember my brokenness today. Thank you for your grace. 
The second thing I want to show you is this. I think they were missing God's heart. They were missing a sense of brokenness. They, they moved away from this idea that they had failed and that they needed God's grace. And, and consequently, I think they were missing God's heart. I want to take you to John. I love John's Gospel, as you know. John chapter 8. Now, I've got to warn you, this story is intense, it's awkward, it's terribly scandalous. It's absolutely brilliant. So you probably know which one this is. John chapter 8. He teaches the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, uh, it commands us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What's he writing? What is he writing? I'd love to know. Question when I get to glory. No one knows for sure. Books have been written on it. Was he writing out the Ten Commandments? Was he writing some of the things that the accusers were guilty of? At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I always find it incredible. It's the older ones who leave first, you notice that? The older you get, the more aware you are of your shortcomings, isn't it? This incident is incredible. See, the Pharisees blamed the problems Israel were experiencing on the sinful common people. In their minds, it was people like this woman who were keeping Israel enslaved to the hated Romans. And following the letter of the law, they were ready to end her life. The law actually said that the guy's life should be taken as well. He's nowhere to be seen. Jesus stands in their way. And at the end of whatever he wrote in the dirt, every single accuser walks. And just listen to those beautiful words again. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now. Leave your life of sin. This woman is in the most vulnerable, awkward, shameful position. And yet look at Jesus. He speaks to her with such gentleness and compassion and love. I don't know about you, but these words fill me with such gratitude and hope. Lots of people have a twisted view of God like 
He is like the Pharisees, wanting to catch us out, wanting to storm in when we do things that aren't right and haul us in front of the religious crowd to mock us and shame us. Is that the way you see God? And yet here's Jesus, so loving, so compassionate. Gives me hope. I'm filled with gratitude when I think about the manifestation of God here through Jesus. Because you know, above all else, God is love. His heart is kind and forgiving even at your absolute worst and dirtiest, God's there with love in his eyes. Has no one condemned you? Some of us here this morning need to hear these words. Because we know that we're not all that we should be. We've mucked up. That human propensity to always muck up. Yeah. God loves you. He loves you. The point here is the Pharisees missed that. Oh, they were 100% right about God's standards. Adultery is out of bounds. It is wrong. It is sin. But what they missed was God's heart. They missed the compassionate heart of a loving father. They wanted to condemn. God wanted to restore. They wanted to kill her. God wanted to heal her. Well, the Pharisees were 100% right about God's standard, but 100% wrong about his heart. Maybe a prayer for us would be, God, help me to speak and act with love. Help me to reflect your heart to the people I interact with this week. Because I think a heck of a lot of people think that God is really down on them. And frankly, that's why they don't want to know him. What's the third thing? The third and final thing is this. I think, basically, they were missing God. They were missing God. The last thing the Pharisees missed doesn't come from actually a specific incident in the Gospels. Rather, I think it's about the Gospel as a whole. They just missed God. The Pharisees were hyper-focused on holiness, hyper-focused on religion hyper-focused in their Jewish tradition on the coming Messiah. Like most Jews of the time, they were waiting for the Messiah to come to deliver them from their oppressors. And here's the thing. He was there, and they totally missed him. They utterly, completely missed him. And worse still, they rejected him and killed him. If I could sum up what it means to be a Pharisee in one sentence, I guess it would be this. It's possible to be 100% right and completely miss God and what he's doing in the world. And God forbid that as a church, we would sit here tutting at the world and thinking that we are all so righteous and miss everything that God is doing in the world around us. You can be the most religious person in the world and completely miss out on a relationship with Jesus. I think that's a hugely important lesson, don't you? So I want you to think for a moment, what, what is God doing? What is God doing around you? What's he doing in your family at the moment? 
You see signs of, of God at work? Maybe you've been guilty of just sitting there tutting at people in your family, a spouse, a child. And yet God is at work. What's he doing in school? What's he doing in college? What's he doing in your workplace? It's okay, isn't it? It's very often we go into these situations, especially on a Monday morning, we've been to church on Sunday, and we feel all righteous and everything, and our hearts sink and we just tuck at what's going on. But I want you this week, think about it. What's God up to? Are we paying attention to what God is doing? The Pharisees completely missed God in their midst. It's unbelievable if you think about it. But I sometimes think too that we are just as guilty in not paying attention to how God is moving around about us. The Pharisees were the most religiously devoted and holy people of their time. It might seem strange that we're calling them the villains of the peace, but, but they were. Because they missed their brokenness. They forgot. They had mucked up. They missed God's grace. They missed God's heart. And blinking egg, they missed God. So the bottom line for all of us this morning is this. It's possible to be incredibly religious and yet at the same time completely miss God and his heart. And that's a stark warning, isn't it? For all of us. Let's not become pharisaical. Let's remember we're all broken. We all need God's grace. We're all living in a culture of sin, but God's culture is to restore and to heal, not to condemn. And it's all about God working amongst us and us enjoying a relationship with Jesus. You, you, you may be still checking this Christianity stuff out. You may not know much about the Bible. You may not be able to quote things. You may not know the songs that we sing. It's okay. God is here. And he loves you. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? You know, I'm very conscious in my own life that Sometimes I pump myself up that I know this and I know that and I've been a Christian a long time. Heck, I'm a pastor. And it's easy to become overconfident in your own religiousness. But we've heard this morning, that's not what God wants. Maybe you sat here this morning and the truth is you just know how broken you are. And you're desperate to know that, that actually God loves you. And he wants the best for you. And I hope you've heard that message this morning. God is for you. We may not understand every minutiae of what it means to be a Christian. We may struggle with certain things. But God is for us. And in Jesus, he's made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. Because in Jesus, there is forgiveness. 
There is healing. There is wholeness. He's done for us what we could not do. He satisfied everything that God wanted. Every standard God set, Jesus fulfilled for you and for me. And the beautiful thing is, God just wants us to accept Jesus. The Bible has got this beautiful description. It says that we can be hid in Christ. Maybe you remember having a cutch. That's what God wants. He wants to cutch us, hide us. And because of everything Jesus has done, God will accept us. We're all broken. But God meets us in his grace. God wants to heal. Not condemn. And maybe this morning you'd come to that point of just trusting in everything that Jesus Christ has done for you. Father, as we're bowed humbly before you, we want to thank you for the lessons we've learned from the Pharisees. Forgive us when we're like them. Forgive us when we tut at the world. Cock our noses up as if we're in some way superior. Grant us more of your grace, particularly in our relationships with other people, in the way we handle ourselves with our families, the intricacies of relationships. In the workplace, help us be slow to anger, to be critical. Help us rather demonstrate what Jesus demonstrated to that woman caught in adultery. Love, kindness, compassion, grace. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that's on this journey of faith towards you. I pray, God, that you will continue by your spirit to draw them to yourself. And that, Lord, they would come to that point of trusting you and accepting you as their Lord and Savior. And we pray these things in his name and for his sake.